Welcome to Fertile Minds Radio. Here you'll find wisdom for your fertility journey and beyond, chosen specifically to help you trust your body and elevate your spirit so you can enjoy the process. Join us and see what a fertile mind feels like. Now your host, Hilary Talbot Rowland. Episode 26, Hypnofertility. Our guest today is Lindsay Eastburn. She's a board-certified hypnotherapist and a certified hypnotherapy instructor through the National Guild of Hypnotists and holds a master's degree in depth psychology. Lindsay has worked in the mind-body healing arts for more than 25 years. She and her husband, Drake, have a full-time global practice and training facility, the Eastburn Hypnotherapy Center and Eastburn Institute of Hypnosis. Lindsay is the creator of Hypnofertility, a specialty program she developed through thousands of clinical hours spent assisting clients in becoming pregnant, many having been told that they had a 0% chance of ever having a baby. She is an award-winning author of three books, with one more in the works entitled Waiting in the Wings, The Pink Starlights. We had such a fabulous talk about how belief systems can become a block when trying to fall pregnant. We discussed the concept that many times those beliefs were put there by someone else and her system for unraveling them. We touched on the idea that just because you could doesn't mean you should, especially when you're in the thick of parenting. And we talked quite a bit about her third book, It's Conceivable, The Three Keys to Conception, which I absolutely loved. While I was reading The Three Keys to Conception, it became clear that we share many of the same mentors and teachers, and I got super excited. Her book was chocked full of reference and reverence from Marion Woodman, the great Jungian analyst, Carolyn Miss, Tony Robbins, Joseph Campbell, amazing women from the Maya healing tradition, and even Albert Einstein, just in the first third. I thought, how lucky am I that I get to interview this author? We practically share brain space when it comes to the mentors who have shaped us. And to top it off for our listeners, she has offered to graciously give away 10 copies of this book to the first 10 people that visit the show notes and click the enter now button found on ladypotions.com backslash episode 26. Winners will be announced on my Instagram page, Lady Potions for You, on April 29th, the last day of National Infertility Week. I'm super excited that you are listening, and I'm looking forward to connecting with each and every one of you during my meditation tap challenge. So don't forget to sign up. Now on with the show. Welcome to the show, Lindsay. I'm so happy to have you on. Hi, Hillary. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. So you are absolutely a pioneer in the way of bringing hypnosis into the treatment of women that are facing fertility challenges. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about how that came to be? Sure, absolutely. Definitely pioneer and not necessarily my um, all my idea. The, I think uh, the universe kind of had something in mind and, and I got I just sort of fell into it. Um, I'm out in Denver in the Denver area there's a couple of uh, pretty uh, substantial, I guess you could say, uh, clinics out here, IVF clinics. And about 20 years ago, things were kind of getting, really getting, getting going, not quite like they are right now. Things were sort of just really coming to be. And a lot of, a lot of women were finding out as they were getting into this medical realm that they were being told that they would have 0% chance of having a baby. And it was based on really limited criteria, in some cases, just the FSH number. So it was like you have an FSH of over 12. And sorry, you need to just 
go make other plans. You need to look at adopting. Um, and some of the clinics or some of the doctors wouldn't work with anyone. So I was having women come in because I have a large practice here in Denver. I had just actually moved out here from the Chicago area, having met my husband at a hypnotherapy conference. So the timing was really interesting to me. It was, uh, we got together, I ended up out here where a couple of the big clinics were going or a couple of, you know, a couple of the major spaces, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Without, are we not naming names today? (laughs) Well, everybody (laughs) knows who they are pretty much. Um, (laughs) And it's it's, because it's not to, it's not to, um, you know, diss anybody. It's just that it, you know, this is a hub. Denver is basically a hub for infertility. And now 20 years later, it's changed a lot, but it was real limited at the time. And and across the board, it, worldwide, um, or at least across the US, there was more of a, let's throw some stuff at it and see if it sticks idea. So you had a lot more multiples, you know, you had a, a lot more like, let's put in seven embryos and uh-oh, we've got seven babies. And Oh yeah, Optimum. <laughs> right. She actually was great because she because of her, it changed things a lot. You know, the ethics hadn't caught up to anything, you know, just within the medical realm. So yeah, so it's not so much that as just happening to be here and, and having them, they were kind of ahead of the game. So there was a lot going on in Denver, one particular clinic, but they were telling people, you know, you've got a 0% chance of getting pregnant. And so women would come in to see me and say, well, can you do anything with my FSH? Or, you know, I would think hypnosis should be able to help with this or, you know, just various things, even needle phobias. So hypnosis is well known for its effects on phobias, fear of flying, you know, fear of heights and needles. Well, if you are afraid of needles, you really can't do IVF. So that was, you know, there's various reasons that they were coming in, but they all started to come in at the same time. So it was like it was in the collective. It, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, these other, you know, that I'm here where things were really kicking off that I just, and, and I, I had no idea I would be here. I was in fact supposed to be moving back to Toronto. I'm from Toronto. I was living in Chicago and I was supposed to be going that way. And I ended up over here because of this, you know, meeting of my husband over this quick weekend in, in, uh, New Hampshire. So it just changed changed the course of my life. So that's that's really kind of the interesting thing about ending up out in Denver and then all of this coming to me out of nowhere. I mean, I, there, this wasn't a specialty. This wasn't even an option when I did my training to do hypnotherapy for fertility. It's not that you can't do it because a hypnotherapist should be able to work with whatever issue comes in. It's just there wasn't any awareness of it. There was hypnobirthing and, and there is, you know, just hypnosis for smoking and weight loss, but there was nothing about fertility. So it was kind of a few things coming together, whereas it was people coming in and asking me about it and me noticing what was going on and seeing these night and day responses for people and seeing all these babies show up, which to this day, in uh, a lot of cases, they're still called anecdotal babies. But uh, my clients like anecdotal babies. They don't seem to care if they're anecdotal or not. Nope, they cry and laugh just the same as real babies. <laughs> I guess they are real babies. They smell good and they're yep, they're they smell good. They're cute. They're yep. So, um, so there was kind of that. I think we had a lot of a division at one point between you know 
the medical realm and the spiritual or the emotional mental realm. And that kind of came together. Hypnosis effect on the nervous system, I think had a lot to do with helping women to get pregnant. And I was just always interested in it. Even when I was a little kid, and I remember this day, I was in the car and they announced on the radio, and I figured this out, I was somewhere around nine or 10. But um, I remember them saying, you know, Louise Brown was born in England. She's the first test tube baby. And they said a little something about that. And I thought, oh, this is amazing. Now, no woman that wants a baby will ever have to not have a baby. And I'm like nine or 10 years old. And (laughs) what do I care, right, about whether or not women who want babies will have babies. But I did. It struck me. And so when this started to come my way, I, I started, you know, how you have hindsight. And I started to see where I was being led to it over the years. Oh, yeah. It sounds like you were just in alignment to hear and be pushed into your calling. I had a a very similar experience. (laughs) This is all hitting home for me, for sure, listening to you. It is kind of interesting. And and I will tell you, as, as these babies started, like as women were coming in, and even if they had done IVF before and had had, uh, you know, it had failed and they had come in, they were saying they were feeling better. They weren't noticing the mood swings. They weren't having the pain that they'd had before, maybe from some of the physical um either issues or treatments, that kind of stuff. So that was interesting. And I just, I just wanted to know more about it. And I was really amazed to find a lot of practitioners like didn't care. You know, Uh, I cared, like it really mattered to me right from the beginning. It was like, this is interesting. I want to help these women have their babies because women would tell me they could feel that they had a baby. And so they just couldn't reconcile the information they were getting from a doctor, but a doctor's an authority, right? And they're supposed to know to get an absolute 0%, you know, you're just not going to have a baby, period. And I don't know, that just never fit for me. Nothing like nothing extreme like that has ever fit for me. But I've had people say to me, you know, why do you do that? There's enough kids in this world. This world is overpopulated. Why would you want to bring a baby into this world? Well, I work with women who actually want their babies, so there's that. And, you know, I mean, there's that, that's just the way it works. Babies are coming into this world. I mean, it's part of, you know, just being a part of this planet. It's, it's life. And there's a lot of unwanted babies. And, yeah, there might be some population stuff going on, but it doesn't matter, You know, so being able to work with these women and help them to realize their dreams sets up such an appreciation for these little kids that are coming in. And it's not that we don't appreciate our children, but when you go through something like this, there's just that much more of an awareness of it. So I think that's where I end up being the pioneer because it just felt really like it was something I wanted to do and and, uh, focus on and say yes to. That's incredible. I think if more people were in alignment and quiet enough to actually say yes to those whispers, the world might be a little bit of a different place right now, right? Yeah, exactly. And it is. It's shifting and changing. And these these babies, I'm sure, just definitely, you know, play a part in that. But you know how it is with working with your clients. And they get so much... Um, I call it abuse. I mean, just flat out. And a lot of it is ignorance and insensitivity. But for people to say, well you know, I guess you just can't have a baby or, you know, well, move on or, you know, that's God's way of telling you. And and it's just things that nobody would say to anybody else in any other circumstance, but that they feel free to say to somebody who's struggling with fertility issues. Right. And yeah, so much of it is projection of their own stuff, but it doesn't matter when you're the one that it's being thrown at and you're 
you know, hormonally hijacked on meds and, yeah. you know, raw, not even vulnerable, but raw by that point. Sometimes I, I worry when those comments stop bothering people, yeah. my patients, because then I feel like they're numb. Like they've kind of shut everything out. And then that's that's an even bigger warning sign to me. Yeah, definitely. Although sometimes it can be a positive in that um, what I call basically the crux of the work I do is is what I've sort of termed balancing intention and surrender. So what's um, because we basically can't control this, but there's some things that we can control. So if you want to have a baby, you can do certain things. You can decide, you know, number one, you can, you know, stop taking birth control. You can see a doctor, you can, you know, try naturally and you know how it goes depending on who the person is, how they get started and so forth. But we can't control the actual baby. We can't take that baby and grab it and smush it in and make it stay we have to allow that piece to happen. So sometimes when we're getting so distressed over the over the comments of other people, that will cause um, the body to shut down, the mind emotions to kind of shut down, and it's then you can't receive the baby. So sometimes when they're not, you know, when they're not responding, it's actually a good thing because they're keeping that energy for themselves. It just depends. Like I. You know, it could go either way. It depends on the circumstances, for sure. No, I I, I agree with what you're saying. What I, I think I had one person in mind too is completely numb to the whole process at that point, where it was like nothing was getting in or out. Yeah, they were in a state of shutdown. Absolutely. So. I definitely want to go into a lot of the pieces of your one of your books. You're you're an award-winning author. You've actually published three books already, and you've got a fourth on the way. Is that am I right? Yes. Yes, technically. I mean, one one of the three is a second edition of the first. So how's that for a little math? <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> so I did not read the first. I didn't read um, it's conceivable, um, but my understanding is that it's a little bit more of the nuts and bolts of how hypnosis works and the process, you know, to which you came to start offering this, which we just touched on a little bit. Am I right in thinking that that's what it's conceivable is mostly centered around? Yes, that's that's exactly it. Uh, the purpose of it's conceivable was to let people know that they had the option of hypnosis to help with fertility. Because when I got started, there just wasn't anything. There was no, there just wasn't anything. There was no books about it. There, there was no training. There, there was just no information. And so as I started doing this, and like I say, this was just part of my calling because all of a sudden I had uh, information, enough information to create a training. All of a sudden I had information for a book and I was guided to get it out there and let people know. And, and I was kind of hesitant, honestly, because I knew if I did, then this was going to be what I was going to be doing for the rest of my life. And, and you know, it's kind of hard sometimes to imagine that when you've never, you could never consider it because you never knew it was possible. Yes. We don't know what we know until we know it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's, that's what It's Conceivable was about. And a little bit more of the art and science of hypnosis, hypnotherapy, and what that's about, and you know, how, how it affects the autonomic nervous system and some of the clearing that we need to do and, and just, you know, mental or emotional blocks and, and that kind of stuff. So I find it really fascinating because it is, in my mind, so similar to what happens in an acupuncture treatment or especially when I will do guided meditation with the needles in. I call that meditation on steroids. It's a little <laughs> bit of cheating, right? <laughs> I've hijacked your nervous system and now I'm going to take you in deep, right? Um, but, you know, hypnosis, 
I think is even deeper, but you don't realize that it's so deep when it's happening. At least that's been my experience. Yeah, no, I agree. And I have done, well, acupuncture, you can just fly, but yeah, when you combine it with meditation or hypnosis, that is just amazing. A lot of my clients will take recordings I'll do for them and put them on during their acupuncture. And yeah, they really, really enjoy that. But you're right. Um, Hypnosis is a little different than meditation. I mean, you end up in the same space, but the way I put it is, is uh, the hypnosis, once we get there, we're actually there to work. So we take things a little bit further because we can create changes in there. We can impact the neural pathways and, and things like that, which meditation also does. It's not necessarily done, how can I say it, like deliberately or therapeutically, if that makes sense. Right. It's like one of those bonus side effects. Like you do it just to calm down at first and then you're like, oh, hey, I grew some green on in my brain. Look at that. I reshaped my amygdala. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think when you have the the practitioner that can see you without bias and hear you, what you're projecting energetically and where you're blocked, because, you know, most of us think we can see our blocks, but we can't really, then you can kind of guide them into the, what's the appropriate type of hypnosis to get into that meditative state. That's one of the things I hear all the time from people or I can't meditate, I can't think of nothing. Mm-hmm. And I am like, well, neither can I. And I meditate every day. <laughs> you know, it's rare that I think of nothing. So I think that having that person there that can guide you a little bit faster towards that deeper state of relaxation could be really beneficial when you're kind of seemingly racing a clock, uh, at least from the patient's perception when it comes to fertility. Oh, definitely. Yeah. The, the whole clock thing is Yes. And hypnosis, we can bend time a little bit, which is kind of fun. And just tapping into that state, you know, because I don't believe in linear, you know, process or age per se. I mean, we have to use it in this world because that's how we do it. We have to know, you know, when we have to be somewhere where, you know, where we have to be and how long it will take to get there. So we do need time. You know, we need birth dates and we need things, but then we get so tied up into measurements like age and, and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. When we go into hypnosis, we can use the shifting of time because in the subconscious, there's no present or there's only present, there's no future and no past. So we can help really almost rearrange or rewire the way that we've been conditioned to respond to that kind of thing. Yeah. And people look at me like I'm nuts when I tell them that time doesn't really exist, that it's human-made constructs and it's just so you can feel in control. And they're like, what? Is this witchy woman? What is she talking about? And then they touch that place of timelessness and they're like, oh, oh, I can go there? Like I, I can, and I'm like, yes, that's where your, right. your baby lives. That's where all miracles live. It's in that that present moment awareness and they, they can't catch that train if you're not even open to being present. And that, I think that's a big wake up call for a lot of them. What have I been doing living so far in the future? Yes, yes. Now, I just read a, a quote about that um, just today. And, and it's, we're just so involved in this, either being influenced by the past or being so invested in the future that we miss our now. And this is all we have. This is all we have. And in the subconscious mind, everything that you want in the future is there in your mind, but we have to bring it into the present and not, you know, the more you think of it in a future tense, the more it stays in the future tense because the subconscious is goal achieving and it wants to help you accomplish what you want. But depending how you communicate with it, you can be continually not manifesting or pushing something off just just by the way you're reacting to it or even stating it. Yeah, I think that that this is around anything, not just babies, the dream or the chase can become addictive if you're not careful. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you, you get so caught up in that of like pushing so hard. And that's just kind of the antithesis that ne- what, what needs to happen for miracles to fall in place that they should, everything should unfold easily, right? Like, like a flower, it just blossoms. It doesn't try really, really hard to blossom. It just does. Right. And humans, you know, we think we're so smart because we have this ne- this uh, neural cortex. We have these frontal lobes. We can think, but we overthink and we actually get ourselves into trouble because the flower doesn't sit around thinking about whether or not it can blossom. It just does. And it kind of makes me laugh because, you know, we think we're superior, but it's our, it's, and in some ways, you know, definitely those, those abilities come in handy, but at the same time, we're not so superior because we get ourselves into trouble by overthinking and, and, uh, overanalyzing. And then, you know, even just getting on the internet to do some research, you suddenly have so much information that you can't see straight. Whereas, you know, an animal, you know, it's springtime, it's mating season, uh, then the baby comes, you know, they don't think about it. They don't go on Google to find out how that has to happen. Yeah, I think you quoted Tony Robbins in your book. You said it is in the moment of the decision that your destiny is shaped. And I thought, yeah, you make that decision. And it's such a third chakra thing, right? Of like, okay, I'm going to decide to turn this desire into my destiny. And the flower just does it or the animal just goes forth. But then we want to think about it. And then we come back up into those upper chakras and we chew on it and chew on it. And before we know it, we've kind of lost our courage to keep going, right? (laughs) It's like we sent it back into the ethers or something. Yeah, we just get in our we get in our own way. Um, and that's where balance of intention and surrender comes in. We know what we want, so we make that decision. And then obviously if you don't do anything, if if you you know, if there's no intercourse, there's no medical treatment, there's no anything, you're not going to conceive a baby. However, um, once you get those things in line, however you're going to do that, that's where the energy needs to go. And then there's that piece where you surrender, which doesn't mean giving up, but means allowing and receiving what's happening to happen. Yes. That's such a tricky one, the the surrender, because it's such a process of being instead of doing. And I love the way that you shape that and the three keys to conception, because I think that that's a, that's a hard concept for a lot of my patients to grasp is how to just surrender when they want something so badly. Definitely. And, you know, what I have found over the years is my clients tend to be more of a type A personality or an an achiever, a doer. And when you're an achiever, you know, that's what you do. You do things. You you put your mind to something and you get it. And you can't do that with a baby. You can put your mind to it, but you cannot, you know, you just can't force it to happen. And it doesn't matter if you spend, you know, $500,000, you cannot force it. It's a matter of, of shifting to being able to balance that and and to allow it. But so in some cases, somebody can have a baby uh, with minimal issue or no issue. And in some cases, people can go on and on for years. And the worst, you know, if you're a type A personality, the more something like that goes on, the more it reinforces that frustration that then builds up into blockages. And then you have that vicious cycle going on. Yeah, it's devastation every month that it doesn't happen or every failed cycle. And it, it, it's like a, you know, blunt trauma wound every time. 
And I love how you described in your book the difference between type A and B, because I always refer to myself as a recovering type air. <laughs> and I, but I hadn't stopped to think about, well, what does that say about all the type Bers, right? When you're like, I'm type A, <laughs> yeah. as if type B was terrible, but it's really about finding that balance in between, right? Yeah. And, you know, I have found that um, type A's are sometimes shamed for being type A's. And, and it's a matter of we need both. You know, we, we need somebody who is uh, more driven to get things done quickly and efficiently. And we need people who are able to be open and keep things kind of open-ended and see uh, see things a little bit differently. And we play off each other nicely. The problem is when you've got your type A with the steam coming out of their ears, you know, or the, the vein throbbing in their temple, um, and we're out of balance or the type B who's living in a box on the street because, you know, they're just so in, you know, up in the clouds that they just can't even navigate the physical realm. So I don't think type A's need to be cured, uh, nor do type B's. I think, you know, if we can just be in balance and we should either be A's with B qualities or B's with A qualities, and we'll probably lean one way or the other, but to do it in a healthy way. Yes. One thing that struck me when I was reading The Three Keys to Conception, I I don't even think I was like a third of the way through. And you had quoted some of my most favorite authors and mentors, you know, Joseph Campbell and Carolyn Miss and Albert Einstein and and Marion Woodman. I just, the famous Jungian annulist, I just love her. You know, her books really, I think I, I fell upon her books. It was not, well, I would say it was by accident back then, but it wasn't by accident when I was in graduate school uh, when the whole fertility thing was coming to me. And it was like somebody had just like blown open a piece of me that was waiting to be awakened. Yes. (laughs) And you did such a great job of weaving in all of these teachings into a book that's really about the spiritual aspect of falling pregnant. And I had this really interesting experience that I mentioned to you, but I will mention to our listeners of reading your book where... Um, I was laying on the couch and my husband looked over and I guess I had a funny look on my face and he said, you know, how's, how's the book? What do you think of it? And I said, um, it's a little like reading my own experiences in the treatment room and my own philosophies, but the critic in my brain wants to say, did she just really say that? (laughs) Even though I experience it every day. And I thought that that was so interesting because we want to deny that spiritual realm. So I, if you're listening to this of like, what are they talking about? You have to read this book <laughs> because it will awaken something inside of you that needs to be woken up. It's definitely interesting. And and I was very pleased with It's Conceivable and thought I'd, I'd done my job. And then this book came and it insisted on being written. And it was definitely more incorporating the, the spiritual um, or, you know, the sort of, I talk about it in the book, calling things sort of the five o'clock world that are the everyday accepted things that we expect, you know, and then there's mm-hmm. the piece that's, that's uh, hidden or, or unseen. And that, that wanted to come through more. And I was finding women were having, you know, spiritual crisis going on in some cases, because whether it's about religion or spirituality or, or the emptiness inside, I mean, when, when these babies aren't coming through, it's challenging. And, and it really, it can really just knock you right down to have to look at things you never would have even thought, you know, even existed in some cases. When people who have a religious background, let's say Catholic, and, and it brings them comfort and they, and, you know, it's just, it just fits for them. All of a sudden there's, is God punishing me? What have I done wrong? And then the disconnect happens and then that's miserable. And then that impacts the physical aspect of it. 
you know, and then same with any, any type of spiritual belief whatsoever, like just, just an idea that there's something beyond what we can see. And this is what this book wanted me to talk more about. Well, I think it's so courageous that you did and groundbreaking. And I think that it really speaks to kind of the the waking that I see in a lot of women, just in consciousness as a, as a whole. I think more people are waking up to these ideas. And if you've had fertility challenges for any length of time past six months, I think you can really relate when I say that it is no matter what your belief system it is, it is a race of spiritual endurance. Absolutely. That's a good way to put that. Yeah, I mean, can't I? I think that came from Mar- Carolyn Miss. I'm not. I can't take credit for that. <laughs> I was from her listening to her being in her president, going, "Oh, that's what fertility is." Yeah. <laughs> yes, her stuff is fabulous, and it it really does. Well, fertility is a manifestation of of various spiritual what what could you call it uh, crosses to bear, so to speak, or experiences that we have to go through. People have different ones, uh, but you can really see it when you listen, like Carolyn is not talking about um, fertility per se, but it just fits, you know, the energy and just all that she talks about, it just fits. If, if you're looking at it from a fertility standpoint, it, it sounds like that's exactly what she's talking about. And, you know, and that's just, I think her teachings are timeless. And, and hopefully this book goes on to be a timeless teaching in the, the world of fertility too, because it does talk about some things that you won't find every day. Like, and so part of what my brain had, shall we say, initial resistance to was because it's part of who I am was when you started talking about indigo children and rainbow children and crystal children. And I had actually, I knew, I know what those are. And like you, I was so glad to hear you explain, like, I never wanted to know what these are. I thought it was like an excuse for bad (laughs) parenting. And I was like, yes, yes, yes. Yes. (laughs) I identified with that deeply. And then I realized like, oh, your resistance is because you are the indigo child. (laughs) Yes. And well, and I kept hearing that because people will seize on an idea and then they will, the things that they do with it is just unreal. It seems like we've had a bit of a flip where children were to be seen and not heard and were you know, just invaluable. And, you know, when, when my dad was a kid, I mean, anybody could hit you. If he went into uh, the store to, you know, buy some candy, the storekeeper could hit him. Um, another, you know, another adult could hit him. I mean, and then it just flipped. And all of a sudden, children had no boundaries. I don't think anybody should be hitting uh, children all over the place. But you know what I mean? It just it was so extreme. And now it flipped to an extreme where the, some of these kids were just having no boundaries. And they were so much in charge, which just isn't healthy for them anyway. And then parents were just saying it was because they were indigo children. And, and, you know, I have kids and I don't hit them. Well, they're adults now anyway, but I mean, but they still had, they have, I have an eyebrow. If they know, if they see the eyebrow, they're pushing it, you know, they have manners, they had structure, you know, all of that kind of thing. So it didn't have to be an extreme either way, but it was becoming harder for parents because of this, because there was a lot of uh, permissiveness going on with children. And then they got this idea of indigo children. And oh, it was because the indigo child, uh, you know, was either uncontrollable or, and, and really it was a matter of children need structure and they just do. They do. I, so not to bring her up again, but Carolyn missed the last time I was in a classroom with her, she went on a tirade because there was so many women that they were bringing up their issues or having questions around their children. And she, she finally like slammed on her book and she was like, when did this happen? She was like, when 
did you guys start to care about your children liking you more than raising them and teaching them to thrive? Like, it's none of your business if they like you or not. Get over yourself. <laughs> Like, you must be willing for your child to hate you at certain times. And I was like, oh, God, I'm scared, but she's so right. <laughs> you know, I love that about her. Um, she is definitely uh, abrupt. Uh, <laughs> you know, she's brusque, but yes, but it's so spot on. <laughs> Well, I need that. I mean, I love listening to her sometimes because you can get into this. It comes more of a new agey type of, you know, warm and fuzzy all the time. But we are navigating a physical world. You know, we're spirits having a human existence, but we are having a human existence. And, you know, the human parts of us need certain things. And I do like that about Carolyn Mace that she will, she'll say it. And that's, you know, that's kind of where I'm coming from too, because I just thought, you know, it's hard for me. Now my kids are in their twenties, so it sort of depends on where they are, but it was hard for me to say no. It was hard for me when my son's friends were all outfitted in snowboarding gear, um, that cost over a thousand dollars in one shot. And for me to say no, whether or not I could do it, it wasn't about that. And when his friend, when my oldest son's friend uh, got his car, he got a Lexus, right? It was a hand-me-down Lexus, but it was a Lexus. My son got a, we paid a thousand dollars for a, I think it was a 1989 Oldsmobile of sorts where the windows didn't roll all the way up at the back. <laughs> and we said, we're going to get you this and you're going to, you're going to pay your insurance and you know, you're going to start from here. And, uh, but, you know, he was so insulted that we got that for him or his, his friend got the Lexus. But ultimately, when you look at things now, it is just amazing. He's even told me, he's like, I'm so glad that you did that because in his one particular friend is just, you know, still kind of lost and they're 28 years old. Yeah, it's the curse of privilege. Like you want to give to your kids, but when you give too much, they they don't understand work ethic and they don't understand like how much something means to them. And in a strange way, I feel like sometimes fertility challenges, you know, where you're talking about like kids, like, of course you want your kids, but if you had to work a little bit harder for it, sometimes there's this just extra reverence or sweetness in that relationship that it kind of had to be cultivated, even though it was painful while that was happening. Right. Yeah, definitely. And I think, yeah, it becomes because we just, we get into trends. It seems to be the human condition, but we get into trends and the trend had become to just overindulge children. And, you know, I think loving children is not overindulging children, you know, caring for them, providing for them, letting them, you know, have a say in some things, uh, letting them know that they matter, uh, not, you know, undermining them and berating them. That's awesome. But then at the same time, when they're getting toys every day, when they don't have to pick up anything, when they go to bed, when they decide, when they can't share, you know, we then we're causing a problem for children as well. And honestly, I think some of that actually sort of bled into some of the fertility issues because people would see the children like this and just say, oh my God, I can't be a parent. I don't want to parent that. Right. Yeah. Or, our, you know, our children will be different, right? Famous last words. <laughs> Famous last words, exactly. Well, you know, you have to say, you have to say no sometimes. And I think that the fertility journey, and I call it a journey, and it's like an initiation when you get to this point in it because it's painful and it's frustrating and you can't control it. And, you know, sometimes you, you know, you're slaying dragons and, and all of that kind of stuff. And it's necessary and it makes us look at things 
differently. And we're actually shifting. I, I hear, I don't know a lot about it, but you know, we have the helicopter parents, right? That we had when my oldest one, my 28 year old went to college and I had to go, you know, for the, the um, parents day. And they all, they gave us a book, a book the size of like the yellow pages about not being a helicopter parent. <laughs> and they told us, you know, and I didn't have that issue because I just don't, it's just like not me, but it was amazing how they really had to talk to us about letting, you know, letting these kids be individuals and, and, you know, get a chance to learn and the, you know, everything is not the teacher or the professor's fault. And there's a lot of that going on, but there's also these now tiger parents as they call them, but they're more, more into a balance. As, so I guess now we have the helicopter parents and the tiger parents and the indigo children. We got labels all over the place, but now it's more of a respecting, you know, loving and respecting your child, but also setting the, the boundaries and giving them the structure and and helping them to have the responsibility. And I will tell you, just interestingly, some of some of my clients that I will see a lot of are teachers and guidance counselors or school counselors because so many of these these helicopter parents put so much blame and uh, expectation on these people that they're under incredible amounts of stress. You know, that these that uh, it used to be, you know, if you got in trouble at school, you're going to get in trouble when you got home or you didn't sass the teacher, so to speak. Right. But now it's well, you know, the teachers are being told, well, you hurt my child's feelings. Right. Um, and uh, again, it has to be balanced. But so I end up with a lot of teachers and a lot of counselors and especially in the um, more, what would you call it? Well, to do can't think of the word, but uh, more privileged schools because the parents actually have that much time and they're looking at kids as an investment and they want to return on them as opposed to human beings that are are going to contribute to, the, to this world, but in so many, so many different ways and ways that are, have been almost forgotten or overlooked. Well, yeah. And I, that problem is seemingly systemic, that ownership of children. And I hear it in people's languages, you know, my kids, my baby, you know, I have to chuckle a little bit because I'm like, like you don't know, own anything. You don't even own that house she paid for, right? Like it's all so temporary, you know? And I think that, you know, sometimes those lessons need to be learned so that you can be a better parent, not saying anybody deserves miscarriage or any of those hardships that come along with it. Not trying to say that at all, but if the universe has not been able to gather your attention in any other way that, you know, that life is precious and it isn't that you do not own any of it right? So that you don't accidentally project your whole life on your child through that false ownership. You know, I think that that paves the way for the baby that chooses to come live out their karma with you. Like I, I too, like you believe that we choose our parents. And I think that that is a hard idea to sometimes land well with people when they're having trouble. Definitely. Who wants to choose the abusive parents or the poverty or, you know, the bullying or anything else that might have gone on that's negative? Who wants to think that you would choose that? But I know that from my own background, I would not be who I am if I did not have that, you know, and I have a very rough background, but, you know, it it enabled me to become who I am. And I guess maybe part of that was why I feel so strongly about these babies and parents who want their babies, parents who really want their children. Um, it's just, it's just amazing. You know? No, I, I agree. They are some of the most wanted children that I've to walk this planet or the babies of my patients. Yeah. And it sucks, honestly, to use that term, but it does. It sucks that people who 
really don't seem to deserve them. Have them, get them easily, um, and then you have to go through such a struggle. But what I have found is, is it's like an initiation. It is a journey, and it opens you up, and you wouldn't open up in this way because you wouldn't have to. And so again, it's a, no, you don't want miscarriages and difficulties and all of that kind of thing. And it, you don't wish that on anybody. If you're in that, if that's what's going on in your life, then it's when you embrace it and you sit with it and you own it, that you're able to blossom, you know, out of it. Right. <laughs> so your book and the three keys to conception I think your three keys are like my personal mantra, which I'm going to list all three of them, but you have to read the book to really embody these because you can logically understand, but unless you read the examples and you start to put it into practice, it means nothing, right? So the first key is meditate. Big surprise that I love that. Uh, The second is listen. And the third is trust. And, you know, like most women or type heirs, I'm guilty of having some issue with that last one of trust. (laughs) So can you explain how it is that you go about instilling that trust, that true sense of knowing in your clients? Yes, definitely. And and it's true. Meditate, listen, trust. And I think I talk about it a little bit in the book, but I got that from meditation and a guide that I connected with, you know, way back, probably 25 years ago. And all the guide would give me at first was meditate. And I'm like, okay, I am, I am, you know, and <laughs> I get one word. And then he shushed you after that. I'm like, how many times I did, right? Because of type A. Okay, I meditate. I'm done. Okay, now what? Right. Enlightenment is around the corner. It's been six months, right? (laughs) Yes, my first spiritual um, teacher back when I lived in Canada, back in Kitchener, um, Ontario, he was such a, oh my gosh, he was amazing, but he he would, uh, he was so zen and so type B and he's like, Lindsay, you need to be. And I go, okay, how do I do it? (laughs) Okay, Lindsay, just be. Okay, I will. I'm willing to be, but how do I do it? Yes. And so that's, you know, kind of where that all progressed. And then I get this, this um, guide, you know, this, this uh, during meditation, who's giving me one word, meditate. And I'm like, but you know, I am meditating. Come on. So eventually I got listen. <laughs> like, okay, all right. All right. I guess this takes more than one shot and then trust. And I realized putting that all together that, and, and it doesn't even necessarily mean formal meditation. And, and we almost I touched on this a bit, but I think people get mixed up and think or they're misled because there are some kinds of meditation where you are supposed to, the goal is to silence your mind, but that's not all meditation. And that's a more difficult type for people that are, are more, you know, type A's to do because it takes time and it, it provides awesome benefits, but it's not the only form of meditation. So meditation, really going within, uh, being quiet, being silent, turning off the TV sometimes, uh, you know, not always active or on the go so that you can listen, so that you can tune in because our intuition gets so ignored. And, you know, women's intuition, everybody's heard of that, but we all have intuition, but we've really blocked it off a lot because we're so used to kind of left-braining everything, intellectualizing everything. But when you can be quiet, Sometimes you'll just hear, oh, I'm at the wrong doctor. I need a doctor. I shouldn't be at a doctor. I need to look into progesterone. I mean, just little things that your intuition has gathered for you that we're just not hearing because, you know, we're just we're just getting so much noise all the time. And I, I tell people, you know, fear masquerades as intuition. 
So fear will start screaming at you like, you know, you're too old or, or, you know, you need this or you've only got that. And you think that you're intuiting it, but actually it's, it's fear. And when we can be quiet a little bit more, then we can hear. Once we get that far, then, then that's where we trust. Well, the hypnosis helps us to get into that parasympathetic nervous system, which is the opposite of fight or flight. And that's where we're supposed to spend uh, most of our lives, as you well know from the work that you do. You know, fight or flight, we're supposed to be there, what, 3% of our lives? Mm-hmm. And nowadays, we're there, you know, I don't know, 50, 60, 90%, because, yeah. you know, we just have, you know, we haven't evolved to, you know, contemporary society. I guess, you know, at one time we were fighting tigers and we would go into fight or flight. We fight the tiger, we run or we get killed, but it's over, you know? And now the things are just ongoing. So we're in fight or flight so much that we can't listen because there's fear screaming at us and masquerading as intuition. So we just can be kind of a jumbled up soup sometimes. So the hypnosis in helping on one level, just to access the parasympathetic nervous system, that's also known as feed and breed for a good reason, um, helps us to then be able to um, listen and trust because once we're quiet, we can begin to almost uh, rewire ourselves. I mean, I, I use that term. I don't really like the term, but at the same time, it's an effective term. And, and hypnosis, we can use to rewire the neural pathways and to shift those. It's easier to think familiar thoughts. So the thoughts that we think all the time are the easiest ones and they'll be our default. So when you're you're trying to fight against negative thoughts or fearful thoughts, as soon as you get distracted, they're going to take over, whereas the hypnosis can help us to break those habits or release blocks so that we can shift into the direction we want to go. And that does enable us to trust. Then that makes trust our default instead of negativity or fear. Yeah, it's that, that default screensaver that's playing, you know, 70% of repeat, you know, it is quite enlightening when you do get quiet enough and meditate enough to have an observational quality of mind to realize somebody else put those there nine times out of 10, that you don't even believe that anymore. And that's really difficult. Like, you know, I, I sometimes I'll have patients come and say, well, I've tried all these affirmations and it doesn't work. Right. An affirmation doesn't stand a chance to that skipping record that's been skipping on repeat for <laughs> 20, 30 years, right? Unless you do that work to un, to kind of dig it up or rewire it, you know, it's it's really difficult to fight against that. In fact, it takes a lot of energy to fight against that. And that's where people get exhausted. And then you don't have energy to have a baby. And and the thing is, it's evolutionary too, because we, we are programmed as a survival mechanism to think more negatively than positively. If you're walking along, um, you know, going out to, I don't know, gather your food, whatever you're doing off along the plains somewhere, and you see a stick or a snake, well, it, it is much better for you to think it's a snake and find out that it's a stick than to think that it's a stick and find out that it's a snake. So we, we are going to see things more negative because it protects us. It's a survival mechanism. Um, so we the brain does tend to be able, you know, it does tend to be more negative in a way that's supposed to be self-preserving. Now that things have changed so much, though, these don't help us the same way. I mean, it's still good to think that the snake is, or the, the stick is the snake. I mean, it, that's not going to hurt you, right? Right. But the problem is, is my reptilian brain doesn't know that my email dinger is not a rep, uh, not a saber-toothed tiger coming to get me, right? Exactly. <laughs> like, that's like five days of hard-earned silence to figure that out, that I, you know, never been so peaceful in my life. And that thing went off and it was like, you would have thought there was a tiger in the room. So I only check my email twice a day now. <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah, you have to. I'm, I know I'm the same way because it just becomes that is literally in the in the new book. There's actually um, some stuff about that, and in it's conceivable. There's a chapter about the whole tiger and the emails, and that that they're everywhere. The tigers are everywhere. They're you know they're behind the coffee pot, and they're in the email. They're they're in the phone, and they're in people that expect you to be. You know, people want me to be available all the time, but I see clients one on one, and so I, I'll tell them. I say, you know, my clients don't uh, take too kindly to me answering uh, an email every time it beeps. You know? Yeah. No, I'm the same way of like, it, somebody better be on fire if you've called me five times. Like, cause you know, my, my family knows that it's like, if I'm with my clients, I'm in client mode. Even, even my secretaries will sometimes joke, I have to warn them when I hire them that I have um, ABF sometimes and I, I'm really just concentrating hard, but it looks like I have active bitch face because <laughs> I'm so <laughs> into like, being present for my clients. <laughs> it That's takes right. them three months to realize that they can ask me a question in between. <laughs> it's <laughs> awful. But yeah, you you have to be present and the, the rest of the world does not um, always take kindly to that. No, and we're training ourselves and you know everyone is trained that way. So that's feeding into the the issue that we have as well. Like we just have this cycle that continues to negatively condition us you know, it, in a way that we don't want to go. We want we want to be open and receptive and we need that, that quiet time and that silence and that ability to listen and trust. And we're doing everything against it just in being so involved constantly with, as I said, noise. I, I mean, noise, I think, is the best way to, to describe it. You know, the, the phones and the games and the TV and, and the light, even bright light all the time and action all the time. You know, that's it is. It's noise and it's it's not helpful. Yeah, it's it's constant bombardment. And I I do kind of wonder, you know, being somewhat empathetic and but learning how to control that. But I, I wonder how much more than noise affects people that are empathetic. Because if you can feel the intention behind the quote unquote noise, the thought in the email, or if it's constantly coming at you. And if we're just kind of the beginning of indigo children, and you know, in your book, you talk about children kind of generationally getting more and more sensitive and as they have to, to be able to change the world. And what is it doing to them? Right. And yeah, empaths, definitely. We can feel that and it makes it, that's where we have to protect ourselves more because we just absorb so much when we just even go out to the grocery store and these kids, I talked a bit about the indigos, but you know, once I got beyond them, you know, thinking that they were an excuse for bad parenting. I know we got off a little bit on a tangent there, but apparently <laughs> that needed to be heard. I'm really trying to go with what needs, you know, whatever's coming up seems to need to be be said. And that's sort of my philosophy, but then the left brain gets in the way of that sometimes too. But um, yeah, the indigos, they were tough. They had to come in, they came into rough times. They had to go up against, uh, you know, the accepted norms, so to speak, you know, this is the way it is. And to be sensitive or to be to see things differently to to um, be rebellious, you know, to break down some of these old paradigms. And, you know, then we have these uh, crystal and rainbow children that are, you know, supposed to be, you know, more psychic or lighter energies about them. Mm-hmm. You know, which is awesome as part of the shifting. But then, of course, the rest of us have to shift along with the children. So if we end up with a bunch of helicopter parents, with children that are, you know, sensitive and, and, you know, you can, they, these children end up, even though they're bringing a light into the world and even though they're a softer energy, but then they, they get caught up in having to deal with what is the issue of the adults that's happening at that time. 
So how, how can we as parents, not we can't ever prevent their wounding because sometimes that's necessary, but maybe not wound them as often if they're more sensitive. Do you have any insight on that from what you've been shown? Well, and definitely I told my kids um, two things. I, I will uh, go to therapy with you and I will pay for therapy when you're a grown up if you want. Um, and I always apologize. I'm willing to apologize and just to let them know I'm human. I make mistakes. Uh, I'm sorry. I don't apologize for everything because I'm not responsible for everything. But I'm, you know, I'm a human being. I make mistakes. And if I do, I own them. So owning our stuff. And, you know, the kids don't have to believe that we're, you know, I don't know, kings and queens. And they also don't need to believe that they're equal to us or that they know everything that we do, that this is like a, an exchange of energy. There is experience and there is newness and we're learning from each other, but to do it in a way that still gives, because ultimately kids need to have structure. We're really messing them up by giving them too much choice at too young of an age. They're showing it in brain development now. Yes, by giving them too much choice too early and video games and things of that nature, the screens, is that what you're referring to? Yeah, just so many things, you know, even in because we don't want to be seen as, um, you know, being too uh, controlling or too pushy. And it's funny because we're controlling and being trying to be not controlling, you know, um, but we're, you know, we're allowing them even in school now, some of the some of the new teaching methods are allowing the kids to choose how they what topic do you want to learn? And how do you want to learn it? Well, I don't know how I want to learn something if I don't know what it is. Right. <laughs> And I don't know how to learn, how, like, what are my choices? You know, like sometimes we just need to have, um, you know, just rote memorization may not be the only way to go, but it, it does serve some purposes. You know, there are some, some benefits that it helps in developing certain areas of the brain, but sometimes giving children too many, they're just not old enough. Their brains aren't developed enough to handle it. So we're making them into little adults. So still being parents, right? Still being parents, um, but not being wardens and not being abusers, but then not being best buddies who are afraid to, you know, say no. Right. Or to put a law in place and hold it there when it needs to be there so that you can make a choice when you're an adult with conviction. Because I feel like if you're given so much wide open space and no format or structure than that, from, from that, then you're constantly questioning yourself. Am I doing this right? Exactly. And and we're so, I mean, nowadays we just get so much input, outside input from, you know, social media and from the internet that we question ourselves, you know, so much as it is. And you can, you'll find any information you want on the internet, you know, um, if you look hard enough. And so it's conflicting, it's contradictory, and, and it's just there. So we have to be able to be tuned into our own intuition. So we need to be able to listen. And then we need to be able to trust the feelings or the energy that goes with that. So we can discern um, through so much of this, this uh, information overload that we get. Yes, because we definitely live in the, the era of technology, but you can have all the answers at once and make yourself crazy. Or you can, you can be on all the online forums and have 20 different contradicting points, right? <laughs> yes. And so just being able to fit, that's what I like about hypnosis too, is it helps people to tune into that part of them that, that then can um, feel what they resonate with, you know, because there has to be a fit and we don't all um, connect with everything or there's different practitioners or different modalities for different people. But when you get so out of balance and you can't hear or feel your own intuition, 
then you're just grasping at everything. And I find so many people that are so stressed out just by trying to keep all the appointments that they're they're doing just because somebody or something told them to. I don't want somebody to come to me if my appointment is going to cause more stress because, you know, it kind of defeats the purpose, you know? Right. I'm the same way. If you're running late and you're going to scramble to get here and it's going to make you crazier, then let's reschedule. Yes. Yes. And, you know, I've had people come in that are on 27 supplements that have not been uh, evaluated by anybody that have they've picked up at, you know, the whole food store or, you know, a health food store and they're putting them together because they heard that this would help and that this would help. And, you know, they're, so they're on all these supplements that they don't know whether or not they're contraindicated. They're seeing all sorts of practitioners and nobody's really in harmony. So, so just being able to be grounded and centered and balanced in yourself, you can then make the most out of, you know, your team. I call whoever you're seeing or whoever you're working with your team. Yeah, I find that I call them the spreadsheet patients. They come, they have so many supplements that it's actually like on an Excel spreadsheet. Um, yes. <laughs> I find that when you get those patients in alignment, it's like they start, the supplements start falling away <laughs> instead of me having to pry them out of their cold hands. They're, they're like, oh, I just stopped taking that. I forgot. I don't know why. And I'm like, oh, because like the higher power in you knew not to take that anymore. Thank God. Yes, you listen. Yes. Oh, good. She's listening. She's listening. Okay. <laughs> We're right around the corner to baby, right? And she's listening because she's being heard. So when you listen and pay attention to these women, because when we're struggling with fertility issues, nobody's listening. You know, there's a lot of, of energy there. There's a lot of emotion and there's not a lot of people that are able to handle it. So then there's this constant shushing. I find that women experience that they're feeling shushed or, you know, they just, there's just not a lot of people that can handle what needs to be said. So just being able to be present and hear that, then they can hear themselves. And then, like you said, they can let go of some of these uh, supplements or hear their own intuition about looking into something or, you know, not looking into something or, or whatever that might be. Right. And I loved in your book, the, you went into that tangent about hysteria and how it was hysterical uterus. And that's actually a concept in Chinese medicine as well, that is, thousands of years old where they were like, Oh, you're, you're off the rocker. Like it must be your uterus. Yes. <laughs> There's a formula for that. I give it to people when they've had like some, like a horrific death in their life. I'm like, okay, now this is the appropriate formula over here. But I feel like that's something that people don't want to deal with and the emotions and it just got branded that way. And it's just a testament to how long that's been going on. And now it's not even talked about. Now we're just shushed. Yes. Yeah. And well, we do, you know, PTSD equals hysteria. But when they thought hysteria was about women, then it was, you know, it was all in their heads. And it was, you know, overreaction until they realized that PTSD, when they started seeing it with World War One veterans coming home and seeing, you know, these these symptoms, and they said, Oh, that that looks like hysteria, but it can't be because they don't have a uterus, there must be something to this. Right. Yeah, PTSD, I guess that does sound a, a lot more chic than hysterical uterus. No man wants to say that. <laughs> right. We, we just get we just get written off because of the uterus. And even back in, you know, early hypnosis days, back in, uh, you know, uh, the times of Mesmer and some of some of the more, you know, pioneers of hypnosis and even, you know, coming into like Freud, Freudian times. But Mesmer was doing a lot of work with women in, in hypnosis to try to sort of relieve some of the some of their, you know, hysteria or their neuroses or whatever they were calling it at the time. But they were finding they were they were finding there was so much sexual 
trauma, sexual abuse that was going on that was actually leading or feeding into these issues. But they found after a while, they found there was so much of it, they decided that we were making it up. And so they kind of you know, decided that, you know, it was just hysterical. It was just hysteria. Well, there is a lot of sexual trauma. And back in, you know, the 17, 18, 19, early 1900s, there there was. Yeah. No, they tell you in school that it's three out of four and you don't believe it until you start seeing the intake forms. And you're like, oh my God, that statistic was actually correct. Right. And nobody believe. I mean, yeah, I find those of us in, in this world know that, but the five o'clock world uh, can't even, it's almost impossible to hold that, that thought because- it's devastating to imagine that, you know, three out of four women have been sexually abused. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's actually not just women anymore. No, no. And I only say women just because of our focus, but yeah, exactly. But, and, and because of hysteria and the uterus, you know, being assigned to that, oh, they made it all up and it's hysteria and that's that. Right. Well, I thank you for shedding light on that. I hope if our listeners um, have experienced any of those things, now they feel a little bit more peace of understanding where those words come from and that it is absolutely their, their right to be seen and heard by any practitioner, whether it's Western medicine or um, alternative. You employ your practitioners, your team, you give them your hard-earned pennies. So you should be seen and heard. That's the first step to healing always. Are you actually taking new clients? I know you do a lot of stuff in Colorado, but do you do any distance patients right now or is your dance card so full that that's on the back burner? Well, luckily people get pregnant and so that opens up space every once in a while, right? Yes, yes, exactly. But yeah, about 50% of my my practice is um, global. So I have people overseas and I have people locally and, uh, and it's really an awesome mix. I find that the people who are supposed to work with me fit into my schedule or I fit into theirs. So you know what I mean? So sometimes even if people aren't sure who they're supposed to work with, looking at who they can connect with, a lot of times will give them, you know, kind of help to make that decision. So the people who are supposed to be with me, they always fit. Yep. I have the, the same philosophy. There's 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 always enough. There's plenty of, of women that want to have babies. And thankfully, most of them do go on to have babies. So it opens up space. So how could somebody find you if they wanted to work with you? Probably the easiest way is just to look on my website. Um, I actually have two, but hypnofertility.com is probably easier to uh, remember. I do have the spiritbabywhisperer.com, which kind of is an offshoot of the Three Keys to Conception book. And it has a little bit of different information on it. It's, you know, ultimately, it's, it's me, but it's just got a bit of a different focus. So either one, hypnofertility.com or spiritbabywhisperer.com. Okay, well, we will make sure that those are listed in the show notes for this episode. And you have been so, so generous. We've got National Infertility Awareness Week right around the corner when this will air. And Lindsay is actually offering up 10 free copies of her book, Three Keys to Conception, to the first 10 people that email us. So I promise in the show note links at ladypotions.com backslash episode 26, you will find a button that says claim your book and you can enter in your email and name. And if you are one of those first 10 people, you will get an email from Lindsay um, asking how to, where and how to send your book out. Um, so I think that that is absolutely awesome. And she is also gone a step above and beyond that. And she is offering up a uh, 
MP3 download of one of her um, hypnosis journeys to enhance fertility. So a little break from my voice, you get to hear somebody else, which I think is absolutely awesome. And I am so grateful that you have shared so much of your time with me. It's definitely not a mistake that we found each other. And I hope that if you're listening to this show, you realize that it's not a mistake that you have all of this information available to you and Lindsay as well. Thank you so much. Thank you for, this has really been fun. And, and it's always interesting to kind of see what's going to come out, isn't it? I Yes. Yes. Sometimes um, it's why I try not to be so super structured, but we'll let our listeners off the hook. Um, and then you and I can finish up and chat a little bit afterwards. All right. So to all of our listeners, bye for now. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Fertile Minds Radio, hosted at www.ladyportions.com, where you'll find past episodes, show notes, and free meditations. If you've benefited from what you've heard, leave a comment or review so it makes it easier for others to find this valuable wisdom. Let's help elevate each other. Thanks for listening.